Father, more than anything else, we are grateful for your love, for your care, for your strength, for your power, the kind that only you can give, that enables us to live this life. Without it, we, we can't do this. We can't do what you have put in front of us to do as a church or even in our personal lives, Father, we need you desperately. We need you this morning. We need you right now. We're asking that you would speak to us through your word, that you would give us grace and strength here to understand what it is that you are saying to us. May we hear your voice this morning and no other. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That's, uh, you don't know this, but one of the exciting things that happens around here behind the scenes is every once in a while a group of us convenes and we look at all of our songs and we say, well, that one's run its course, we need to strike that one off the list because we keep adding new ones. That last song, Everlasting God, has been on the list since maybe the first year or two that we've been doing this and it has always been one of my favorites and I I love hearing it. Uh, When I hear it, it always makes me think of one time that we did it I'm sure that we were here, but it was a long, long time ago, and uh, the band was down front here, and Gavin was probably about seven years old, and he was sitting on a little stool up here, and in that bridge, he read the verses that Joe read at the beginning. Uh, So that's how long that song's been around, because he's not little, and and all those kinds of things. So, Uh, But I love that song. I love the message of it, that, that we can't do any of this whether it's personally in our lives and in our families or together as a church, we can't do any of this without the power of God. It's absolutely essential. I can't do what God is asking me to do this morning up here without the power of God. We absolutely need what only He can give every day of our lives. And, and I hope that you understand that. And I hope that as a result of our times that we have together, you can see that and you can see God at work in your life Uh, in that way. A few years ago, uh, a movie came out. It it ended up being a very, very popular movie, but the the opening scene of the movie was something like this, and I'll try to paint the picture for you a little bit. Um, A mother and her infant child were being chased by a huge pack of tigers. And as she was being chased, she eventually found herself Uh, cornered, trapped, if you will, on the edge of a waterfall and left with, with no choice but to jump into the waterfall, plummet down to the depths below. She did that, cradling her child carefully against her chest. Fortunately, unfortunately, as a result of the fall, she lost her life, but before she died, she was able to deposit her child on the riverbank. Later... A woolly mammoth named Manfred and a sloth named Sid and a saber-toothed tiger named Diego came along and found the child on the riverbank. The movie was Ice Age. A poignant tale of community and survival in the Arctic wilds. Manny and Sid and Diego decided that together they would get that child back to his father. He was a part of a a tribe of nomads that were wandering across the Arctic. 
At one point, as the three of these unlikely companions were making their way across the tundra, they all of a sudden realized as they climbed a mountain that they were on an active volcano. The lava began to spew out and the ice bridges that they were walking on began to melt and Diego found himself separated from Manny and Sid and the baby and he desperately tried to jump across the chasm to rejoin them fell just short and his claws were sliding down off of the edge and into the chasm and just before he was to surely perish, Manny dove across the chasm and grabbed Diego by his trunk and flung him up onto the ice. Later, as Diego realized the sacrifice and the selflessness and compassion with which Manny acted, he said, why did you do that? You could have you died. Why did you do that for me? And kind of shyly and humbly, Manny said, well, that's what you do when you're part of a herd. You take care of each other. And Sid, if you watch the cinematic masterpiece, you soon realize is the comic relief in the story. Sid ponders what has brought the three of them together, and he says, I don't know about you guys, but we are a strange herd. Uh, I say all that to say this, guys. I don't know if you have ever thought about this, <laughs> but we are a strange herd. We're a strange herd. We are very, very different, the group of us. We all come from different places and have different background stories and different abilities and likes and dislikes. We're, some of us are young and some of us are old and some of us are somewhere in the middle and and some of us have been doing the same thing all of our lives and some of us do something different every week and and uh, we all have different perspectives, and somehow, God has brought us all together. Now, you mix in the fact that none of us are perfect, and things really start to get interesting. <laughs> because we are together, we are a herd, we are a family, but we don't always treat each other perfectly because we aren't perfect. You don't have to hang around here very long with us before you realize that Mossbrook Church is not a perfect church. By the way, there are no perfect churches. Let me tell you why there are no perfect churches. Because all churches are made up of Christ followers who are not perfect. Unfortunately, many people hop around from place to place to place to place to find the perfect church, and they just keep hopping because there isn't one. So how do we do this? Because God has called us to come together. He has called us to work together. He has given us a mission. How does a group of strange, different, sinful people work together to care for each other and to minister to people and to love their community and reach them for the truth. Well, we have to remember, first of all, that this is God's church. It's not my church. It's not Tim's church. 
It's God's church, and He is the one who gives the grace and the strength and the ability and the power. Some 70 years ago, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor and writer and ultimately martyr in the Nazi regime, said this, Christian community is not an ideal we must strive for. It is a reality created by God in Christ in which we must participate. In other words, this isn't just some pie-in-the-sky thing that we shoot for. Hey, we should all try to get along. No, it's not something that we aim for. It's the reality. We are a Christian community, and we do need to participate in it. We're coming now to the last section of 1 Thessalonians. If you've been with us over the summer, uh, the late spring and the summer, you may have realized that we spent nine weeks going through the first four and a half chapters of 1 Thessalonians. Well, we're going to spend the next six weeks going through the last half chapter. We're going to slow down a little bit because there are just a ton of instructions that Paul gives to us on how to interact with each other. Okay, he's given us all these, all these thoughts and he's taught us all through the first four and a half chapters. These are the things we need to do. Now, how do we implement them? That's what he's talking about in these last few verses. We're going to talk about how to handle difficulty. We're going to talk about how to care for our own personal growth. And in the verses we're going to read this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, he's going to address the church and its leaders. And what I want you to think about this morning is this, that in order to accomplish the mission God has given us, the relationship between a church and its leaders must be healthy. God's given us a task here, and he's asked us to do it together. And so that relationship needs to be healthy between the church and its leaders. Let's read these two verses, and we'll walk through them over the next few minutes. Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, there's several passages in the New Testament that talk about church leadership and structure. And uh, just as a side note, coming up in a couple of months this fall, we're going to start walking through like we have been doing the last few years, grabbing books and, and going through them from start to finish. In a couple of months, we're going to start looking at First Timothy. And Paul talks about how the church is supposed to function. And so we're going to study that and explain it thoroughly. But those of you know, if you've gone to other churches in your lives, not all churches function the same way, right? Nod your head if you've experienced that. A lot of churches are very different. A lot of churches function in unique ways. Here at Mossbrook Church, we believe that the New Testament teaches that God gives the church elders who lead the church. And so that's what we're seeing here this morning that Paul is talking about. He's talking about the elders of the church. And uh, we're going to look at that more thoroughly, like I say, in a couple months when we get to 1 Timothy. So this is not an exhaustive list of things this morning, but he begins to introduce this to us. So we're going to look at three questions this morning. First question is, what do the elders do? I want you to notice that, first of all, there's a responsibility to labor for the church. He says, respect those who labor among you. The word labor means hard labor to the point of exhaustion. I don't know if I could give you a picture this morning of what the word labor talk is, is uh, talking about here, but maybe if you could picture in the old chain gang movies and you see the prisoners out in the quarry and they're banging big rocks with sledgehammers. 
No, no one's ever seen that. There's movies out there where chain gangs bang on big rocks. Okay, Uh, that's the word that he's using here. Now, there are lots of words for work in the Greek language. There's two or three that are used commonly in the New Testament. And Paul could have chosen one of those, but he chose this word specifically. It means to work and to worn out and depleted, actually. The job of an elder, a pastor is to work hard in whatever has to be done. Whether it's care, whether it's teaching, whether it's comforting, whether it's warning, whether it's counseling. Paul says the job of the elder is to, is to work hard, is to labor diligently, to give everything that you've got. Now, Paul was a great example of sacrificing all for us. If you were to read over in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says... All of the things that I had and all of the things that I valued, I was willing to set aside so that I could know Christ, so that I could keep going toward the goal for which Christ had called me, which was to share the gospel, to spread the gospel, to share Christ, to plant churches. In 1 Timothy 4.10, Paul says it this way, For to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul says that for elders to carry out their responsibility well because we believe in Jesus Christ, because we trust Him, we work hard because we believe that there is nothing else that is more important. That's the responsibility of elders, to labor for the church. The second thing Paul says here is that there's a responsibility to lead the church. If you go back to the verse, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, I don't know at what point some of you start to chafe under what is being said in this verse. I know that we here in the great state of Maine like value our independence And we like to do our own thing, and we don't like other people telling us what to do. So this is kind of interesting. Paul says, not only do they labor for you, are they to work hard for the church, but they are to lead the church. He says, they're over you. Interestingly, the phrase over you literally means to go before or to stand in front of. I didn't necessarily plan it this way, but I guess we're on movies here today. But have you ever seen the kind of movie where the, the ship beaches on this jungle stretch of, of a desert island in this 25th... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's encouraging. Okay, somebody's with me. You beach, there's 20 feet of sand, and then an impenetrable wall of jungle. And the task is to explore the jungle to see what's on the other side. What do you do? There's no trail. And so the captain of the ship, the leader of the expedition, jumps off the boat, grabs his machete out of his belt, and starts hacking his way through the jungle, and the rest of the team follows him. That's the picture here. The picture is not of someone who is standing over someone and and lording it over them and saying, do this, do that, you got to do this while I sit back here and supervise. That's not the picture. The picture is, we're going this way, follow me. And we start hacking our way through the jungle. 
That's what Paul is challenging the elders to do, to lead the church. New Testament elders lead the way into what God is calling us to. Over in the book of Matthew, Christ was talking to the disciples, and he told them, look, in the world, this is how people lead. They say, do this, do that, go here, go there. But among you, he says, it will not be so. Instead, we'll serve each other. Instead, we will put others ahead of ourselves. The first will be last and the last will be first, he says. New Testament elders are called to be servants and they're called to lead the way. Now, there's a couple of ways that we should lead the way. We lead the way personally by the way that we live our lives, the way that we care for our families, the way that we love our wives, the way that we spend our money, the way that we do our jobs in our character. We're going to talk about that when we get to 1 Timothy. Paul sets out a list of requirements. He says those that are elders must meet these guidelines, these character guidelines. We're to lead the way personally. That's what we want to do. But also we need to lead the way as a church. And it's our responsibility to bring us into what God is calling us to do to fulfill our mission. Now, you know that I'm talking, I keep using plural pronouns here, we and our and us and all those kinds of things, and I know that probably many of you are sitting here thinking, well, he's talking about him and Tim. Well, I am talking about Tim and I because we're elders, but there are other elders here in our church besides Tim and I. There's also Robert Wessels, who was up here making fun of me and my lack of ability to run and I think he's maybe counting on the fact that I peter out halfway through. I bet I'll have video going or something of it. Robert Wessels is an elder. Tim Yates is an elder. Klaus Stan is an elder. Just about a month and a half ago, Tom McGarvey stepped down from being one of our elders and kind of retired to use his gifts in other areas of our church after having been an elder with us for well over a decade what I want you to understand is that whenever Paul or Peter or John or James is talking about leadership in the New Testament church, it's always a plurality of elders. There are always multiple men who are leading the church. This is not a one-man show. This is not about one guy saying this is what we're going to do. This is about a group of men that God has called and gifted and is leading to lead in turn his church. And that's what we have here at Moss Brook. We actually spent a couple of three hours together yesterday morning as elders talking about some of the opportunities that are coming our way and some of the decisions that we need to make to continue to do what God is calling us to do. So the elders are responsible to lead the church. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 8, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and he says the one who leads should do so with zeal enthusiasm to follow God's priorities. And leadership is a gift that God gives to certain members of the church, and we're responsible to lead the church into those things. And as we go before you, as we lead this church, I want you to understand that it is our desire to never ask you to do anything that we are not doing ourselves. We're not sitting here scheming about things that we don't want to do, that we want to ask you to do. We always want to be doing these things ourselves and asking you to follow us personally and spiritually into what God is calling us to. 
Thirdly, not only is there a responsibility to labor for the church and a responsibility to lead the church, but also a responsibility to instruct the church. He says, those that are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now again, this word as it's translated here, now some of you may uh, say this, I know Charlie Young says this all the time, he says, if you come out of church and you don't feel like your toes have been stepped on, then those guys aren't doing their job up there. Well, you know, sometimes we do step on people's toes a little bit, uh, but that's not our point, that's not our desire is to come here and just harangue you and harass you every week. He uses the word admonish, but it really means to reason with, to reason with by instructing or teaching. It means to apply positive pressure to one's logic. I certainly wouldn't stand here in front of you and tell you that I have always made every decision properly in my life, and I'm probably going to make plenty of mistakes in the future. But one of the things I know about my brain is that it works logically. This, then this, then this, then this. I don't know, some of that comes across when I'm teaching you sometimes. Or for those of you that know me, you know that's the way my brain works. But here's the thing about logic. I think, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this or a vote or anything, but I think I'm a very logical person. And I think the way that I do things makes sense, very good sense sequentially. But here's the thing. I live my life logically, but it's my logic. <laughs> you could be sitting there and you could be saying, well, that's great for your logic, Mike, but this is my logic and your logic doesn't make much sense with my logic. What we see here when Paul is talking about this is that Paul is describing those who stand up in front of the body like we do on Sunday mornings and reason with you by God's logic, by His Word. And our desire is to try and help you understand how the truth works and what God is saying and how it makes sense in your lives. My desire is to stand up here and say, this is the divine logic that God gives to us for life and for living. We were just having a conversation a few minutes ago before the service started and, and uh, talking about how we spend a lot of our time, we're together on Sunday mornings, opening the Bible and reading from it. And the interesting thing is a few weeks ago we were, uh, we were talking with a lady who had come to church a few times, we'd invited and then she hadn't come and and Tim and I bumped into her, and we said, hey, we haven't seen you for a while. Love to have you come back. She said, you guys just use the Bible too much. <laughs> well, we're not going to apologize for that. It's divine logic, my friends, that we need. And that's our desire as we stand up here. But I don't want it to be purely academic. I don't want it to be just me standing up here or Tim or Tom or whoever else is teaching standing up here and saying, this is what you got to do, this is what it says, this is what it means. We want to do so in a way that urges you to turn to God's best. I love the truth. I, I love God's Word. I love standing up here and teaching it. But it's most important that I stand up here and any of us that stand up here as leaders and teach and present the truth in such a way, graciously, God, by God's Spirit, that you will desire to live your life in a way that honors God. 
that's my desire more than anything else. I want to see you live in the way that God is instructing us to live so that you can enjoy what God has for you. I want you to know that we as your elders are personally, lovingly, carefully concerned about you and your family. And we pray for you and we think about you when we're preparing and we're sharing and we're talking after the service and we're wrapping our arms around you. We love you and nothing is more important to us than to present the truth in a way that it impacts your lives and you see the design that God has for you. And yes, sometimes it's a little more than a nudge. Sometimes it's a warning. But it's always because of our love for you. Well, that's what the elders do. Then we see very quickly, what does the church do? You see there in that verse, there's a responsibility to know their elders. He says, we urge you, brothers, or ask you to respect those who labor among you. The word respect really means to be aware of or to consider or to understand. It means to see in order to know, in order to understand. And Paul is saying, I want you to see what godly elders do in leadership by laboring and leading and instructing. I want you to understand that it's not an easy job. I want you to understand that they're, that they're human and they're fallible, that they have weaknesses and limitations and I want you to be grateful for them. Really what he's saying is, as a church, our responsibility is not to take our leaders for granted. And see, here's what happens, folks. And this is why it's always been our desire for us to not be separated from you as elders and up on a pedestal somewhere. And you're thinking, well, that's those guys and we're down here and they're up here. We don't want that. We want you to know us and understand us, and we want likewise to know and understand you. Here's the thing. It's really easy to be indifferent or critical of those that we don't really know. We can stand back and we can say, well, I see this over here, so that guy's a real jerk, and this guy's screwing this up, and that's all wrong. And It's very easy to do when we don't know each other, isn't it? Paul says, that's not what I want. I want you to know and understand those that are leading you. Secondly, he says there's a responsibility to esteem. The church has a responsibility to esteem their elders, to regard with a high opinion. He says in love because of their work. God has given this role to the elders, the pastors, the leaders of the body and he says the body should love them, support them, care for them, not merely because of personal reasons. Well, I like this one, but I don't really like that one because I get along with this guy, but I don't get along with that guy. He says, no, I want you to do it in love because they're your brothers and because I've given them this task because of the role that God has given us in the church. Well, then the third question, that's what does the church do? And then notice he ends this passage by saying, what do we all do? The leaders have a responsibility, the church has a responsibility, but what do we all do? He says, be at peace among yourselves. So we lead and serve, you guys serve, you follow, we'll head in the direction that God is calling us to do, and then together 
We are to be at peace among ourselves. The idea of this word here is, is a wholeness that comes when all of the important pieces are brought together and fit together. It's like a picture of a puzzle. God has brought us all together. And he's given us roles in the body. And he says, when you all come together, that's what prepares you to go and do what I've asked you to do. And God's desire for the church is peace. There's nothing more detrimental to accomplishing the mission that God has given us as a church than for us to not be at peace. Jesus said it himself this way in John 13 when he was speaking to the disciples the night before he went to the cross. And he says, this is how everybody's going to know that you belong to me because you love each other. (laughs) And by the way, that's the excuse that the world will use that what we have does not matter when they see that we do not love each other. What do we all do? be at peace among ourselves. We need to bring peace. We need to cultivate peace. This unity and teamwork and sacrifice for each other and the lost. In order to accomplish the mission God has given us, the relationship between the church and its leaders must be healthy. That's what Paul is saying in these two little verses. And so my challenge to you this morning is let's work together. Let's love each other. Let's comfort each other. Let's challenge each other when we need it. And let's share God's love and truth with those who are outside the church. Back in 2002 in western Pennsylvania, there was a mine collapse. Q Creek Mine Western Pennsylvania, nine miners were trapped 240 feet below the surface. It wasn't enough that they were trapped down there with no way to escape, but they were standing in chest-deep water. The nine miners quickly assessed their situation. They realized that rescue, if it was coming, would not be coming for a while, and so they made a pact among the nine of them. They said, we will all get out of here or none of us will get out of here. Speaking with some of those miners afterwards, they said, you know, it was tough. We're standing in 50-degree water. Hypothermia started to set in. Once in a while, one of the guys would start shivering uncontrollably, and whenever that happened, the other eight of us would just circle around him and wrap him in our arms and keep him warm and hold him up out of the water. One of us would get weak, and our knees would start to buckle, and the others would lift him up. And sometimes one of us would despair. We're never getting out of here. We can't do this. And the others would encourage him. We're all getting out of here or none of us are getting out of here. 77 hours later, all nine miners were rescued. Why? Because of their commitment to each other. And that is what God is calling us to, my friends. He intends for us to do this together. There will be difficulty There will be heartbreak, there will be battles, there will also be blessings and promises and victories, but in all of it, God has called us to focus on Him and His power and His grace and His strength that we only have in Jesus. That's what He means when He says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. We need that this morning, friends, as a church. Will you stand with me as we sing and commit our hearts to the Lord together as a body? I'm thankful for all of you. We can't do this alone. We can't do what God has called us to do, standing by ourselves over here on the side. It takes all of us together. That's what God is calling us to, to accomplish the mission he has given us together. So let's do that. Let's be at peace among ourselves. Let's work together. Let's use the abilities God has given us and the roles that he has given us to reach our community with the truth and to care for each other. Father, thank you so much for your loving care, for the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the structure that you have given us. And yeah, we're a strange herd. We all look different. Sometimes we act really different. Sometimes we do things we shouldn't or say things we shouldn't because we're, we're human. But I pray that we'll be patient with one another. Pray that we'll walk together and we'll see you bless and work in ways that only you can as we share the truth with the people that are around us. As we link arms, as we put our arms around each other this morning to comfort and encourage one another, I pray that our hearts would be recharged and ready to do what you're asking of us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for being here this morning, folks. Have a great week.